I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. In today's conversation, we have a unique window into the sustainability journeys of a father and a son. Joining me is Alan Vandermolen, Chief Communications Officer of SC Johnson, and his son, Eli Vandermolen. The conversation we're going to have today is one that I have wanted to have for a long time. Alan is the Chief Communications Officer at SC Johnson. So welcome to the show, Alan. So happy to be here. Happy New Year. Thank you. And Alan's son, Eli Vandermolen. And Eli is a... Tell me what year you are in school at NYU, Eli. Yeah, I'm a junior at NYU now. And you're based in New York, and Alan's based in Racine. And so I wanted to have a conversation um, that would illuminate the role and the acceleration of sustainability in companies, but also between uh, a father and a son and young people today who are following careers in sustainability and the influence of the the parent, the influence of society, the influence of peers. And so uh, this is the first time we're doing this. I'm so excited about it because we're going to learn a lot. So many young people, when I get a chance to speak at a Net Impact conference or a PRSA conference or others, or I have a lot of clients who say, hey, will you talk to my child? Or will you talk to even I'm getting a grandchild? So that's dating me a little bit. Who want to get involved in business but they want to do it with businesses that care. So I'd like to just start out with um, Alan first, then Eli. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are in your career or the pursuit of your career, Eli. So we'll start with Alan. So uh, again, thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, Started as a consultant and really started as communications about purpose from a brand lens less so than a, than a corporate lens. And now my journey is really about understanding sustainability as a business function and as a cross-functional business function and as a way of operating versus a way of playing uh, brand offense or brand defense, depending on how you look at it. Eli, you're, you're pursuing, you're in school um, you're going to your, thir- to your third year. It's really an important time to declare what's a major and why. So just talk a little, little bit about your interest in sustainability and your college career. I'm a junior at NYU, and I'm declaring my major in public policy and minoring in environmental studies. The idea behind that is that I'm interested in getting involved in sustainability work, specifically on the most macro climate change level of sustainability work. And I'm not much of a STEM person, hence why environmental studies is the minor rather than the major. Um, And I decided to major in public policy because I think that that major and that education will help me develop the skills I need in order to affect change on that large level. Why is this important today? Why is it important for you And then why is it important for the world? Well, I think it's important for both me and the world, because if 
environmental issues aren't kept track of, the quality of human life is going to go way, way, way down very fast, and we won't be able to restore it to how it is today. Um, yeah, I think it's as simple as that. I'm scared about that. I think the rest of the world should also be scared about that. And that's why it's important. And when you started school, you didn't start with this view. I think I had the idea that I wanted to major in psychology. It's always been a very persistent interest of mine, uh, studying the mind, how it works, decision-making, those sorts of things. But when I came to university and I took some intermediate to advanced level courses, I found that the content didn't really resonate with me. So what I did was I sort of examined my values and my ethics. And I came to the very simple conclusion that I think everyone would come to that helping people is good and not helping people is bad. So I decided to follow a professional path that would allow me to help the greatest number of people. And I think just numerically, climate change is the biggest issue facing our world. So that's what led me here. Alan, how, does, how do you feel when you hear your son talking about that? First of all, holy cow, did I really uh, raise this kid? Is this my child? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard as a parent not to visualize your, your child as the one you used to come home to and maybe read with their play or, or what have you, right? And in particular, as he's now away for college, the, the intellectual growth is amazing in a, such a short time period. So just listening to him here now um, is a much different conversation than he and I have, say, 90% of the time. Um, so I feel good about that. I, I also feel it, it, it uh, reflects a lot of what we see in the marketplace and with young professionals on their expectations uh, of their generation and their hopes for change in the older generation and indeed in the younger generation. So I think that um, it's a really exciting time to be a university student and to be you know, looking at entering the professional world in the not too distant future in terms of your ability to impact your organizations from a very early stage in your career, much different than, than when I started. So, so I, I love to segue into when you said this is your first internal job. And also, I just want to say for our listeners that SCJ is a private company. And that allows you a, a different sort of set of filters and decision-making um, influences. So why is it important for companies today to truly have an authentic, and you know I say authentic all the time, commitment to purpose and sustainability? As you pointed out, we're privately held. Um, our current chairman and CEO, Fisk Johnson, is the fifth generation family chairman and CEO. And the company has always had a commitment to environmental conservation. Our sustainability practices as, as business practice has evolved out of the family's commitment to environmental conservation. So it's, it's baked into the ethos of the company and the values of the company from ownership. And as a privately held firm, we also don't have 
shareholder pressure. We certainly have to balance profitability and sustainability because profitability allows you to have more sustainable practices, which by and large, at least today, are more expensive to implement. But the commitment as a privately held company is a lot easier and it's authentic here because it's multi-generational. You know, the, the one observation that I have broadly as a consultant and now in-house is there's a lot of corporate speak in this space, net zero this, net zero that, 2050 commitments where the leadership of the company is going to be long gone by the time the date on those commitments comes due. And there's going to be very little accountability to the individuals making the commitments. And in a privately held company, in a family held company, that commitment holds true, which places a little extra pressure, I think, on us than, say, on some of our publicly traded um, counterparts. And that's not casting aspersions. It's just simply factual that there's a personal um, investment in this. You both brought up the word values. And I'd like to explore that further. Alan, when you got to SC Johnson, again, first time inside a company, how often did the discussion of values come up? Why is that an indicator? And then, Eli, I want to talk with you about, you said in our uh, pre-discussion that values and philosophy um, had an influence on you going in this direction. So, Alan... Please talk about values first. It's interesting when you make the change from consultancy to going in-house. I think that's kind of the first point. You know, at a consultancy, not all, certainly not at Cone on Purpose and, and Carol, at your predecessor um, to that, Cone Communications, values are fungible in most consultancies. And it's in most, you know, you can, let's say, bend your values to align with your desired client or client roster. That's just factual. I think in-house on the corporate side, values shouldn't be fungible. And at a family company, again, privately held company, values are long held and they're entrenched and they're around the notion of transparency. They're around the notion of honesty. They're around the notion of doing what's right versus what's expedient as it relates to your people, as it relates to your communities, as it relates to to your customers. And those are very serious commitments. And, you know, that struck me quickly when I came in, how much time I spent learning the history of the company and the key decision points that were made in the company, you know, notable environmental point exiting CFCs, being the first major consumer company to do that. And the kind of firestorm that set through the the FMCG industry. So values are well entrenched and they're not fungible in a family company. And how does it make you feel in terms of your job and the requirements of your job? Is that greater pressure? Values-based decision-making is something that I used to espouse as a consultant, but didn't have to practice. And, you know, sitting in this seat every day and being responsible for the company building trust with its constituencies. I look at make values-based decisions every day and ask if they're living up to the expectations of our customers, living up to the expectations of of the family. And as um, Fisk's father said, you know, you shouldn't worry about, are you living up 
to the expectations of your parents, you should worry about are you living up to the expectations of your children? And I think that's that's a great lens for our long-term decision-making. I love that. Living up to the expectations of your children. So, Eli, values, um, why are they important to you? And, and how um, are you utilizing them as a North Star for your uh, career exploration and ultimate uh, journey? Values are important to me because... I mean, I, th- I think you put it pretty well. They're, they're a North Star to guide me, my actions, my ambitions, what I want to do with my life. I think that without one holding a clear set of values or, or morals or just general heuristics, immoral heuristics to follow, one's life can be pretty rudderless. So I- I'd say that's probably why values are significant to me. I I mentioned in the pre-interview that I've taken a number of philosophy and ethics courses. So I tend to think about these topics in the abstract and academic sense a lot. But more recently, as I've been growing older and I'm getting farther in my academic path, I've decided to hone them a little bit more to my specific experience. So I'd say the values are taking a much more active role in my life than a couple of years ago. I want to talk about influences um, and and getting, if, if not too personal, Eli, talk a little bit about what sort of influences did your father and your mother? And then you also talked about the doomsday clock in Union Square, which I thought was a really interesting kind of visual um, that, you know, so talk about. What's influenced you to go into this field of sustainability, whether it's public policy or programmatic? I'd say what influenced me, interestingly, is very much not my father. No offense. Okay. <laughs> Alan, you hear it, having hear such a role in this. Uh, yeah, I think, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, when it comes to his work, I think we tend not to discuss it very often, or at least before I entered university. It was always just vaguely he worked in some sort of consultancy, PR, whatever. And and that was that. And he made money, which allows me to live. I, I didn't inquire farther, really. And he never really shared farther. But my influences pushing me towards sustainability and environmental issues came first. And now my father is helping me, is able to help me a lot in terms of figuring out specifics, what I want to do. And even as far as helping me secure internships and other things like that. And how about your mom or perhaps an aunt or an uncle? Um, and also talk about the doomsday clock, because I thought that that was a fascinating comment that you made. My influences towards the environmental thing came from examining my values, but just walking around day to day and thinking about, ooh, what should I be doing? I, in that period, I was bombarded by a lot of kind of climate change imagery and messaging. So in my freshman year, when I was, when I ended up deciding to pursue public policy and environmental studies, my dorm was really near Union Square. And like you said, there's a big climate change doomsday clock in Union Square. And I think, so my peers and I, we walk by it you know, close to every day. 
having that big reminder of, hey, guys, climate change is a serious issue that we probably aren't doing enough about. It, it resonated with me a lot at that time. Alan, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I know you spent, I love the fact that you mentioned history, that when you got to SCJ, that you really dove into the history, you had to learn it, hear it, because it is five generations. And I'd like to ask you, what is happening in SCJ that truly, truly is um, impressing you? Because they've got some significant commitments. You mentioned the CFC, but they also have a very significant commitment in Africa. And I'd love you just to share that with our listeners. Well, if we kind of up-level a little bit, the, the company's purpose is a family company at work for a better world. And there are four components to that. Um, a more transparent world, which relates to ingredient transparency, what goes inside of our products, a more sustainable world, a healthier world, and a world with more opportunity. And the opportunity piece translates into social and economic mobility for underserved communities. In, in the health pillar, which you've mentioned, we've made a commitment with a number of governments and NGOs in seven countries across East Africa called the Great Lakes region of South Africa to um, eradicate malaria within this next five years. And that's putting our core competencies in primary research, in product development, and in public health, public health partnerships to work to try to reduce the transmission of malaria and, in fact, eliminate it in the coming five years. So we're doing quite a lot of work in there through our base of pyramid group, which focuses on the world's poorest part of our population. And in particular, we're building health posts to reduce the time to diagnosis and treatment of malaria across the countries in East Africa, in particular in Rwanda and Kenya, um, expanding that work into Tanzania, in fact, this month. And you know, it's it's the belief of the company to apply its core competencies to the pressing issues of the world, and and I think that word core competency is really important. Um, we have a fundamental belief that there are issues that we should weigh in on, and issues that perhaps we don't have the core competency to weigh in on. So we're very focused on issues where our core competencies can make an impact. So malaria eradication. Um, potentially expanding that out to vector-borne, also looking in the sustainability space with a real focus on plastics and reducing plastics usage, um, or increasing post-consumer recyclable um, plastics in our products, as well as innovating in refills and concentrates, things that help reduce packaging overall. How well did you know about those initiatives before you got to SCJ? Because I want to talk about communications and I want to talk about it at different levels, communications to in general with brands, communications to young people. So were you well aware? You know, when I got the call from um, SC Johnson, I was like, hey, that's interesting. I'd done a little bit of work with them. I grew up in the Midwest, so I had a familiarity certainly with the company. But I started to do some homework to see if I would be interested in continuing my career with SC Johnson. And in particular, I spent a lot of time matching up the company's words with its actions. 
as it relates to the operations. So I, I looked a lot at um, ingredient transparency and their reporting on ingredients. I looked a lot at what they were doing in ocean-bound plastics in particular and to increase PCR in, in packaging specifically. But what attracted me the most, Carol, was the company's goal, which is a measured goal, which is to be the planet's most trusted company. You know, I've got a lot of experience in trust and understanding what builds trust beyond it being a, a word with no meaning. I place a high level of value on trust over reputation. And we could spend some time going through that if it, if it makes sense. So I, I liked what I saw. And then I came in and I met the entire senior management team. And I sat down with um, the chairman and CEO, Fisk Johnson, twice for probably a total of two hours, maybe two and a half. And uh, I was really attracted to, to what I heard and what I saw. I'm glad you spent that time. And I, I think that um, I, I love that you said match the words with actions. So, so Eli, are there companies setting aside SCJ that you go, wow, they really walk the talk. They really put their purpose in action. So do any stand out for you, whether you use their products or their brands or their services at all? Honestly, I'm not the most informed when it comes to specific companies making good on sustainability promises and whatnot. So that might be a better question for my father. But I will say that I think it can be tricky for consumers like me who aren't the most educated in all of these, but still want to purchase sustainably, consume sustainably, et cetera. Because I think sustainability is very marketable, but it's often hard to tell what is legitimately helpful and what is just for show and is just another advertising method. So I'm glad you were very candid about that. So thank you. So let's give a little bit of a tutorial here to those companies with brands or services uh, that want to market to your generation or they want to recruit someone like you. So what would you suggest where they should communicate? Because I think you've talked about authenticity of the communications, but how might they reach you? I, I think that with Gen Zers and, and younger generations in general, there's there's a very jaded attitude towards a lot of corporate talk and corporate speak. So I, I think that the most effective way to maybe reach younger people in terms of recruitment or showing uh, a genuine interest in sustainability and those sorts of things to with communicating to younger people is to strip away the the highly sanitized highly targeted uh, messaging and instead prioritize communications and the creation of of messages and videos that really show whatever that company is all about in a candid, non-BS sort of way. We appreciate authenticity a lot. And I think that Gen Zers in particular can see through fakeness very easily. And I think that's where a lot of the jadedness comes through because there are so many people, there are so many corporations using very clearly um, targeted Gen Z talk that we can see right through. 
Thank you. That That's really important. And I'm curious about um, where would you get the most trusted, as Alan talked about, um, information? Is it just in your social media feed? Um, is it in your personal conversations? Because people still have personal conversations, your peer groups. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, God, you got to say it on TikTok, you know, because that's where it's got to happen. Just curious about, again, you giving guidance to all these communicators out there about how do they reach you in an authentic way? One can probably reach the greatest number of young people through things like social media. I'm not sure it's so much an issue of platform rather than an issue with how the information is being displayed, how the messaging is being displayed. Again, candidness goes a long way. So if a company truly has, for example, SDJ has touched millions of lives, saving lives truly in Africa from dying from malaria. So do you want to know those numbers if they're from an authentic resource? Uh, yeah. Alan, you're, I know that you are asked, um, besides from Eli, but from other young people, um, whether it was, you know, in your previous jobs or whether it's in your social circles or whether when you travel for SCJ, hey, how do I get a job like your job? I, I know so many people, Alan, that want your job. Well, they can't have it. They can't have it. Okay. They can't have it, but maybe they can be on your team. Okay. It, <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what advice do you give them in terms of both their school studies as well as their early career trajectory? If they truly want to get into a position of influence, either in a consultancy, a not-for-profit, a government, or a company like SCJ in sustainability? I don't think there's a clear path anymore. I'm always interested in people that have a well-rounded education, well-rounded exposure. And when I say that, I'm interested in people that have taken some psychology to Eli's earlier point. I'm interested in people that have taken some philosophy that understand human behavior. Because at the end of the day, these roles, the kind of roles I've had and, and that I'm in now are about trust. And trust is about building relationships with the many stakeholders that are key to your success. And it's a test of, do those stakeholders believe you're going to act in an appropriate way in the future? So if they trust you, they're more likely to come to work for you. They're more likely to buy your products. They're more likely to, on the regulatory side, list your products, et cetera, et cetera. So I think trust is a core competency or at least a fundamental understanding of trust and how to earn trust is something that I that I look at. The other thing I look at is, you know, it turns me off to hear people say communication and message. Those things turn me off. What I'm really interested in is very specific engagement with stakeholder groups and with individuals and engagement around issues and topics of product efficacy or what have you that are important to those stakeholders. That's that's what I'm interested in is people that understand engagement and engagement as a path to building trust. That's that's very, very good advice. Are there, Eli, the type of courses that you're going to be taking in the next two years? Um, you're talking public policy. You're talking ethics. Um, are there others that you're considering that, uh, to round out your skill set, as Alan is uh, suggesting? I, I mean, my priority is obviously uh, the things that I think will help me most directly things like 
oh, you, history of U.S. environmental policy and policymaking 101 and, and courses like that. But I mean, like my dad said, I think that there is a lot of value in taking things that are more kind of peripherally related, so to speak. This semester, or I guess last semester, I should say, I took a, very, a really interesting class on espionage history. Mm. So that's, I don't want to join the CIA or anything. <laughs> okay. But I thought that that was a very interesting course just in terms of learning how decisions are made with information. And I think skills like that are very important to the career path that I want to follow. So even though probably espionage doesn't have a whole lot to do with uh, climate change, well, who knows, but I think it still is helpful. And do you have suggestions to um, your peer listeners about how do you maximize value from an advisor, a school advisor? I mean, do you have to like constantly set up the meetings, go in with a list of questions? I mean, what's the best way to maximize that um, today? The best way to maximize maximize that resource with advisors is doing a lot of prep work before you actually go into those meetings. I And I'd say that goes for, for any meeting in general. Doing prep earlier on allows you to ask the right questions when you're in those meetings, when you're in those advising meetings, and that allows them to help you better. It's just that simple. There's less time wasted. They have a better idea of who you are and what you want. So I would say do the thinking beforehand and then get your questions answered and get the help during the meetings. Excellent. That's pretty wise. That's what I say to my colleagues. And so I think that maybe that's a little bit of rub off from Alan. We're, this is a great conversation. And there's two areas as we're beginning to wind down that I would like to ask both of you, which is the first one is external advice. So I would say that, Eli, what kind of advice, additional advice, do you want to give to any of your peers who are seeking a path in sustainability or purpose? I know it's early on for you, but you're, you're really wise. You got a lot of wisdom going on there. I think there is some influence <laughs> there so. from, from, from Alan. So what advice to your peers besides making sure if you're going to go into an advisor to be prepared, but any other advice to someone who's pursuing this career right now from what you know? You don't need to have a clear idea of where you want to go, but I think it's important for you to never lose sight of why you're doing this, why you're following sustainability and making sure that you don't stray far from that general goal. For example, if, if you're really focused on making a positive change regarding like climate change try to make sure that the courses that you're taking or the jobs that you're pursuing kind of pertain to that work because i think that and this is advice that i myself am trying to follow i think it's very easy to get swept up in the machine swept up in the flow and and lose sight of your goals and end up spending a lot of time on something that is not what you wanted to be doing in the first place. And and there's a lot of distractions. So I always say focus is your friend. So that is really wise at a very young age. Alan, 
Um, this is a father-son talking about sustainability in their lives. What advice would you have for other of your peers who may be having a conversation with their son or daughter or niece or nephew who want to pursue a career in sustainability or purpose? What advice would you have to your peers to help their young, uh, their younger charges? First of all, I think it starts at home, right? Today, there's a real opportunity for parents to start sustainable behaviors in a meaningful way at home. Things as simple as recycling and working with your kids so they can identify the packaging that's recycling when they're at retail, helping them understand how to um, uh, sort their garbage at home, helping them understand um, how to take advantage of a very weak recycling infrastructure in the United States, a stronger recycling infrastructure in Europe. But I think building awareness with your children early that climate is indeed an issue and the sustainability of the planet, its ability to sustain its eight, nine billion people is is a real issue. So I think bringing some light to that at home early is important. The other thing that I think is really important is get your kids out in the community. And we really need to give Eli's mom a real shout out here for her giving him great exposure to the arts, to community groups, to global travel. I mean, he had the benefit of being raised mostly overseas, but to give him a real view of things happening on the ground that are impacting the world and to have a very high empathy bar, which he does not, not to embarrass him, but he got all of that stuff from his mother. And uh, I think it's really important to, again, to expose your children to what's happening in the world and to give them multiple lenses through which to view the world. And, and eventually they're going to pick their own path. You can help set values. You can help set empathy. But it's up to them to choose the path. You're there just to put the guardrails up. And, you know, again, credit to his mom for really being heavily invested to this moment in that. So I would now here's I'm going to put you both on the spot. What's one piece of advice, Eli, you want to give to Alan in his role as chief communications officer at SCJ? Um, So what piece of advice do you want to give him so he can be more effective? And then, Alan, I'm going to ask you the same what piece of advice can you give to Eli in his career pursuit and sustainability so that he can have more success? So Eli, you go first. Maybe I would say just, again, keep your eye on the ball, know what your goals are, and make sure that what you do follows those goals or is in pursuit of those goals. Don't get distracted, like you said, Carol. Okay, Alan, you heard that. I did. You did. Now, Alan, what sort of <laughs> one major piece of advice do you have for Eli? in terms of his pursuit of this career in sustainability? You know, this is something I didn't do and, and something I've come into later in life and not consistently, I have to admit. But when I was Eli's age, I wish I would have spent a lot of time thinking about my personal values and really examining what those are and then consistently applying them because that's going to give you a leg up in life and in all relationships, not just your professional relationships and your personal relationships and your community relationships with significant others and being really clear about who you are as a human being and what your values are and applying those to your behaviors. And, you know, I tell, I I get the privilege of talking to student groups a lot 
And that's a point I always give to them is take the time to sit down and really examine what you're all about as a human being. And do you like who you are as a human being? And, and can you adjust those things now? And then you've got a lifetime of applying those in your professional life and in, in your personal life. That's, that's the consistent advice I, I've kind of come into here recently and that I believe very strongly in. Values have come up a lot in this conversation, very much of a true North Star. So I'm sorry that we're coming to the end of this. We could have it for hours. We can have you, maybe I'll have you both back on every year to see how you advance. (laughs) That would be great. So on one, Eli, I didn't ask you, do you know what kind of career or industry you want to go into yet, or is it too early? I think it's a little bit early for that. Well, vaguely, I want to be on the policy making side of it, like collecting data and analyzing it, figuring out what needs to be done. I think that is what appeals most to my skill set and sensibilities. But on a more granular level, I'm not really sure yet. Lastly, I always turn it over to my guests to say, what haven't I asked you? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Advice, a question, um, an inspiration? I don't think it's something that you haven't asked, Carol. I, I think most of the people that are listening, I'm assuming, are professionals um, or students who are pursuing careers in sustainability or purpose. Um, I think that there's a real, real risk today, and I see it every day, of, of purpose washing. And Eli referred to being authentic when you're I would say making claims, that's not his words, but when you're making claims, be authentic in those claims. And I think there's a real danger of us going down a purpose washing path today. And I think it's particularly important to understand what your purpose is as a brand or as a corporation, how you apply that in your business operations, just not in your, not only in your marketing claims, and then making sure you're true to those things. Because I think there is, there is great risk there. The other thing uh, on a corporate level, I would suggest is, and also for NGOs who, who may be listening, is sustainability is a very loose term. And it's not well understood. And I read headlines with sustainability in them every day, and there's many, many definitions. I think that we have responsibilities as communicators um, in positions of influence in the corporate world, in the NGO world, and, and indeed in the government world, to start to get more granular in what we mean when we say sustainability and what we are doing um, in our organizations and what we can help consumers to do because actually it's not consumers responsibility it's the responsibility of corporations of governments and an ngo to ngos to drive not dialogue but to drive action and make it easier for consumers to take action very well stated eli i'm going to give you the last word uh i agree with everything my dad just said i do think that it's on the the producing side rather than the consumption side to really drive change but Despite that, I'd say to young people and all people that know that climate change and environmental problems are an issue, but aren't really doing anything about it just from inertia. Um, I was one of you. Uh, I'm trying <laughs> to get out of that inertia. I'm doing my best. 
I think that it's very daunting to try and break that habit that one's in of just going, oh, wow, it's really hot this winter day, huh? And leaving it at that. But I would say to those that are daunted, you don't have to do everything. You just have to do enough. You don't have to do everything because it's very overwhelming. But you just have to do enough. So I want to thank you, Alan and, and Eli. This has been a wonderful and illuminating conversation. Um, I am going to invite you back. So maybe you will be my New Year's tradition. Sure. We'd love to be back. Yeah. So you're going to be this continuing story. So I, th- I think this was great. I'm thrilled. It was an experiment, but I think it was a great experiment. You two are... Um, very interesting um, as a father and a son, as individuals who truly do care about the world and want to see a better place. Carol, thanks for doing what you're doing and what you've done for um, a lot of years. A huge impact. And uh, I hope you know that and appreciate it every day. Well, I thank you. It's always nice to hear. Um, and I want you to travel safe and do do. You've got a big vision for Africa and malaria. So I want you to stay on that path as well as your path to try and deal with the plastics crisis. And Eli, I am totally convinced, because I meet so many young people, it's not because Alan's on the phone, that you are going to be just a star. Um, you, you know, your values <laughs> your values that are driving you and your, and your real commitment to focus, that's really smart. And I meet a lot of adults in multiple generations who don't get that. So I know since that is a constant for you, you will be very, very successful. Thanks. I hope so. Employers, please hire me. There you go. I promise I'm smart. (laughs) 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 This is the year about embedding. It's no longer, as Alan said, it's about authentically living, breathing, um, doing the work. And you can see that you need people like an Alan Vandermolen and uh, the next generation's Eli Vandermolen, that they're really committed to this. So if you have the right people and you've got the right North Star, I do say that there's a lot of promise that we will help with climate change and some of the other huge social ills around the globe. So thank you so much for the Vandermolens. And thank you to our listeners. Don't forget to go to um, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a rating. Um, getting more stars, hopefully five stars, gets us up into the list of uh, business podcasts. And we want more people to really share in all this wisdom and conversation. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>